0: This is Dr. Balagai here. Today's podcast is on potassium homeostasis. It's derived from two main sources. The first is a chapter titled Electrolyte Disorders, authored by Dr. John J. Chang, MD, and Dr. Aldo J. Pixito, MD, both from Yale University School of Medicine. The chapter is in the Baliga's textbook of internal medicine, Available at www.mastermedfacts.com. Another important resource is an article in the New England Journal of Medicine, July 2nd, 2, 2015. The article is titled, An Integrated View of Potassium Homeostasis. It's authored by Dr. Michelle Gomes, Ph.D., Dr. Lawrence Rabinowitz Ph.D., and Dr. Charles S. Wingo, M.D., The extracellular potassium concentration is tightly maintained between three to five milliequivalents per liter because normal potassium levels are essential for generation of normal action potentials in the cardiac and skeletal muscles and the neurons. Maintaining normal kalemia is also important for hormone secretion and action, for maintaining vascular tone, systemic blood pressure control, gastrointestinal motility, acid-base homeostasis, glucose and insulin metabolism, mineral or corticoid action, renal concentrating ability, and fluid and electrolyte balance. There is a tight regulation of extracellular level of potassium because even the ingestion of a normal meal can potentially result in derangements of potassium levels. An average adult has approximate levels of 60 to 80 millimoles of total extracellular potassium and levels of 20 to 25 millimoles of total plasma potassium. Despite the fact that a meal may contain more potassium than the total plasma potassium content, mechanisms such as rapid clearance by renal and extrarenal mechanisms, the variations in plasma potassium level during the course of a day are commonly no greater than 10 percent. Renal potassium excretion also has a circadian rhythm independent of ingestion of food and modulates other mechanisms that control potassium excretion. An understanding of the circadian clock is beneficial because it allows timed administration of drugs which can influence potassium levels. Aldosterone and cortisol have an endogenous circadian secretion pattern. So sampling at specific times will reduce variability and improve clinical assessment. Moreover, the action of these hormones is influenced by the circadian clock. The substantial daily variation in urinary potassium excretion justifies caution in the use of random urine sampling to evaluate hypokalemia or hyperkalemia. Without consideration of the time of collection, random measurement of unary potassium may either underestimate or overestimate 24-hour rate of potassium secretion. The time of the day also affects adaptation to potassium level and thus can be important in emergency potassium replacement therapy. Potassium homeostasis involves two concurrent processes: external and internal. External potassium homeostasis regulates renal potassium excretion to balance potassium intake minus extrarenal potassium loss and correction for any potassium deficits. Internal potassium regulation controls the asymmetric distribution of total body potassium with the greater part that's approximately 98% being intracellular, and only a small fraction, that's about 2%, which is extracellular. The external potassium balance involves three control systems. Two systems can be categorized as reactive, whereas the third system can be considered predictive. A negative feedback system reacts to changes in the plasma potassium level and regulates the potassium balance. Potassium excretion increases in response to increase in plasma potassium, leading to a decrease in the plasma level. A reactive feed-forward system that responds to potassium intake in a manner that is independent of changes in the systemic plasma potassium level has been recognized. Currently, the component mechanisms remain under study and are not clearly delineated because oral potassium intake was seen to produce a marked excretion of urinary potassium in the absence of effective increases in the plasma potassium levels researchers have postulated that potassium receptors reside in the gut hepatic portal vein or liver experiments with the use of agotomy and hypophasectomy support the role of vagal afferents and the pituitary as components of the system. Animal models have shown that an oral potassium load can lead to urinary excretion of potassium, but aldosterone, vasopressin, alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone or alpha-MSH, gamma-MSH, and peptides such as glucagon-like peptide one, guanilin one, uroguanilin and other candidate substances do not appear to be responsible. The nature of factors that affect urinary excretion of potassium merit further investigation. A predictive system appears to modulate the effect of reactive systems, enhancing physiologic mechanisms at the time of the day when food intake characteristically occurs, typically during the day in humans and at night in nocturnal rodents. The predictive system is driven by circadian oscillator in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the brain and is entrained to the ambient light-dark cycle. The central oscillator or clock entrains intracellular clocks in the kidney that generate cyclic changes in excretion. When food intake is evenly distributed over 24 hours and physical activity and ambient light are held constant, this system produces a cyclic variation in potassium excretion. After ingestion of a meal, the feed-forward system induces urinary potassium excretion. The quantity of potassium is sufficient to increase plasma potassium level. The feedback system is activated. Intake can vary widely throughout the day. Although the circadian clock and the potassium intake from meals alter potassium excretion rapidly, that is within 24 hours, potassium excretion responds appropriately with intake. For example, under normal conditions, In persons who consume 4 equal meals at 6-hour intervals, meal-induced urinary excretion of potassium is greater during the day than at night. However, studies have shown that with large prolonged step increases or decreases in potassium intake, potassium balance may not be fully achieved for several days. The internal potassium homeostasis is the maintenance of an asymmetric distribution of total body potassium between intracellular and extracellular fluid. This occurs by the balance of active cellular uptake by sodium potassium ATP, an enzyme that pumps sodium out of the cells while pumping potassium into the cells. This is called the sodium potassium pump rate and by passive potassium efflux called the leak rate. Dramatic effects or derangements in the proper coupling between potassium pump and leak rates can result in hypo or hyperkalemia. Little increase in the plasma potassium level occurs during potassium absorption from the gut in normal persons, owing to potassium excretion by the kidney and sequestration of potassium by liver and muscle. Between meals, the plasma potassium level is nearly constant as potassium excretion is balanced by the release of sequestered intracellular potassium. Potassium depletion primarily involves loss of potassium for muscle, although it may be reflected in reductions in plasma potassium level. When the potassium loss is corrected, potassium retention from intake replaces the deficit. Insulin, catecholamines, and mineralocorticoids stimulate potassium uptake into muscle and other tissues. Absorption of meal-derived glucose stimulates insulin secretion with a consequent insulin-driven potassium uptake in muscle. The effectiveness of insulin in the therapy of hyperkalemia depends on its capacity to drive potassium into skeletal muscle, thereby decreasing plasma potassium levels. In the absence of a change in the total body potassium content, severe hypokalemia may result from a minor increase in intracellular potassium as a result of resetting of the pump leak kinetics. The pump leak kinetics are not altered by short-term elevations in aldosterone but are reset by chronic mineralocorticoid stimulation which reduces the plasma potassium level in the absence of discernible changes in the total body potassium content. Such actions contribute largely to the reductions in plasma potassium associated with increased secretion or administration of aldosterone. Nevertheless, supraphysiologic rates of aldosterone secretion as in primary hyperaldosteronism may be associated with potassium depletion. Aberrant potassium homeostasis, the concurrent activities of the external and internal systems act to maintain the plasma potassium level within narrow limits. However, in clinical practice, clinicians often encounter deviations from normal levels when potassium intake is greatly altered. Hypokalemia and hyperkalemia frequently occur as a result of non-homeostatic processes that are not regulated by change in potassium balance. These processes increase or decrease potassium excretion, but not in response to changes in potassium intake. Example, action of diuretics, alterations in acid-base balance, or impaired kidney function, or limit the capacity of the kidney to compensate. Example, in chronic kidney disease. Cellular buffering of potassium provides, therefore, the first immediate defense against a major fluctuation in extracellular potassium concentration. The cells contain 98% of the total body potassium, that is 3,000 to 4,000 milliequilins, and can sequester extracellular potassium in hyperkalemia or release intracellular potassium in hypokalemia. Renal potassium handling. The kidneys provide a long-term potassium homeostasis by adjusting the urinary potassium excretion according to potassium intake and body's potassium status. Urinary potassium excretion, which rises in response to an increased potassium intake and hyperkalemia, is so efficient that even a tenfold increase in the daily potassium intake from 40 to 400 milliequivalents does not produce hyperkalemia. A corollary to this is that persistent hyperkalemia always indicates a defect in the urinary potassium excretion. In contrast, in response to a decreased potassium intake and hypokalemia, urinary potassium excretion can fall to low as 15 to 25 mEq a day. Therefore, a diminished potassium intake alone, unless quite severe, does not cause chronic hypokalemia. Except for cases of the non-renal potassium loss from the gastrointestinal tract or skin, persistent hypokalemia stems from an excessive urinary potassium excretion. Potassium that is filtered at the glomerulus is largely reabsorbed in the proximal tubule in the loop of Henle. Consequently, the rate of renal potassium excretion is determined mainly by the difference between potassium secretion And potassium reabsorption in the cortical distal nephron and collating duct. Both these processes are regulated. Potassium ingestion stimulates potassium secretion and inhibits potassium reabsorption. Factors that regulate potassium secretion and reabsorption can be divided into those that serve to preserve potassium balance or homeostasis and those that affect potassium excretion without intrinsically acting to preserve potassium balance or contra-homeostatic. Examples of the latter include flow rate in the renal tubular lumen and the luminal sodium level. acid base balance also affects potassium excretion. The predominant effect of acidosis is to inhibit potassium clearance whereas the predominant effect of alkalosis is to stimulate potassium clearance. The major cell types of the cortical collecting duct that are involved in potassium balance include the principal cell and the alpha intercalated cell. In principal cells, potassium is actively pumped into the cell from the peritubular fluid by basolateral sodium potassium ATPase also called sodium potassium pump and is secreted at the apical membrane by potassium channels and by functional potassium chloride co-transporters. The sodium potassium pump moves out three sod- sodium ions and moves in two potassium ions thus removing one positive charge. In the alpha intercalated cell, potassium is actively absorbed from the lumen and can exit the cell apically during potassium repletion states or basolaterally during conditions of potassium deficiency. the Collecting duct is part of the aldosterone-sensitive distal nephron, which also includes the distal convoluted tubule and the connecting segment. These segments also have the capacity for substantial net potassium secretion. Apical cellular sodium entry through the amyloid-sensitive epithelial sodium channel promotes active basolateral cellular potassium uptake in exchange for sodium extrusion by the sodium-potassium pump. Apical sodium entry through the epithelial sodium channel depolarizes the apical membrane which stimulates potassium secretion through apical potassium cells. Functional co-transport of potassium chloride also affects potassium secretion and is particularly important when the luminal chloride level is substantially reduced as an administration of non-reabsorbable anion or during chloride-dependent metabolic alkalosis. Active potassium reabsorption is driven by an apical membrane proton pump, potassium pump. The activity of this pump is pH-sensitive and activated by acidosis, potassium restriction, and mineralocorticoids. The mineralocorticoid defect may explain the lack of substantial renal potassium loss with chronic mineralocorticoid stimulation thus mineralocorticoids can enhance potassium resorption or secretion depending on the potassium balance the renal handling of potassium occurs in three stages in the distinct anatomic sites of the, along the nephron the first stage is the filtration of plasma potassium at the glomerulus the second stage involves net reabsorption of greater than 90% of the filtered potassium in the proximal tibial, that is 60 to 80%, the remaining 25% at the loop of Henle. As a result, the fluid leaving the loop of Henle achieves a low luminal potassium concentration. The third and last stage of renal potassium handling takes place in the distal nephron, that is the connecting segment and the collecting duct where net potassium reabsorption net potassium secretion can occur depending on the potassium intake and body's potassium status. On a typical day of 100 mEq of potassium the distal nephron achieves net potassium secretion which is responsible for the majority of the potassium appearing in the urine. A fourfold increase in the daily potassium intake to 400 mEq induces a similar increase in the distal potassium secretion. In contrast On a restricted potassium diet or in hypokalemia, the distal nephron achieves net potassium resorption and minimizes a urinary potassium loss to as low as 15 to 25 milliequivalents a day. Thus, the distal nephron is the site of regulation for urinary potassium excretion. The potassium secretion in the distal nephron requires 1. Sufficient potassium permeability across the principal cell and two, the adequate driving force for potassium secretion. The sodium potassium ATPase on the basolateral membrane takes up potassium from the extracellular fluid, which the open potassium channel on the luminal membrane secretes into the collecting ductal lumen. Thus the normal activity of the sodium potassium ATPase and the adequate number of open potassium channels are necessary to establish sufficient Potassium permeability across the principal cell by stimulating the sodium-potassium ATPase and increasing the number of open potassium channels. Aldosterone enhances potassium permeability and induces kaliuresis. The driving force for potassium secretion stems from the low luminal potassium concentration and the lumen negativity. The fluid entering the distal nephron is low in potassium because of potassium resorption in the proximal tubule and the loop of Henle. An adequate distal tubular flow then maintains the low luminal potassium concentration by washing away the secreted potassium and preventing its buildup. The adequate distal tubular flow also helps generate and maintain the lumen negativity by producing an adequate supply of intraluminal sodium. The entry of the sodium into the principal cell via the ameliorite-sensitive sodium channels. With the slight delay in the reabsorption of anions such as chloride, makes the lumen negative relative to the cell. By increasing the number of open sodium channels, aldosterone stimulates the sodium resorption and contributes to the generation of lumen negativity. Finally, the resorbed sodium exits the cell across the basolateral membrane by sodium potassium ATPase in exchange for the extracellular potassium. The foregoing discussion highlights the central role that aldosterone inadequate distal tubular sodium delivery and urine flow play in the renal potassium excretion. Activation of the basolateral sodium potassium ATPase and the luminal potassium channels or ROMK by aldosterone establishes potassium permeability across the principal cell while aldosterone mediated sodium resorption by the principal cell in the setting of adequate sodium delivery and urine flow generates and maintains the favorable electrochemical gradient for potassium secretion. Most of the causes of excessive or reduced urinary potassium excretion can be traced back to high or low aldosterone level or distal tubular flow or both. Hyperaldosteronism and high distal tubular flow cause hypokalemia and hypoaldosteronism and low distal tubular flow cause hyperkalemia. Much evidence supports the role of the circadian clock in external homeostasis, and some evidence indicates a role in internal homeostasis. In vertebrates, a central clock in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the brain and peripheral clocks that are present in virtually all cells regulate circadian rhythms. Although ablation of the suprachiasmatic nucleus disrupts many circadian rhythms, particularly those related to activity, the circadian rhythm of potassium excretion is preserved, presumably due to continued activity of renal cell clocks. Indeed, this rhythm persists after removal of the adrenals and requires no environmental stimuli. Among many physiologic functions in humans that show circadian rhythms, few are more consistent and stable than the circadian rhythm of unary potassium excretion. Increasing potassium intake magnifies the amplitude of this rhythm but the intrinsic circadian periodicity is retained. For example, after transatlantic air travel, the circadian rhythm of renal potassium excretion adjusts slowly over several days and finally resynchronizes to the local day-night cycle. The magnitude of the daily change in the clock-driven rate of renal potassium excretion can be substantial. For example, during human consumption of high potassium diet of say 400 millimoles per day, potassium excretion can increase by a factor of approximately 1.6 from nadir to maximum within a 24-hour period, even though similar meals may be evenly spaced throughout the day. Greater variations, that is by a factor of two to four, may be present during normal potassium intake. The circadian rhythm of potassium excretion can serve to minimize the change in potassium content of extracellular fluid. For example, in one study, intravenous administration of potassium at noon, when clock-driven potassium excretion was near its maximum and food intake typically occurs, resulted in a small increase in plasma potassium level than when the same amount of potassium was administered at midnight when the clock driven potassium excretion was minimal. Potassium homeostasis therefore is not merely due to input mediated systems but is also mediated by central and peripheral circadian clocks. The timing signals from the central clock to the peripheral clocks remain uncertain but adrenal corticosteroids and agents from other loci have been proposed or identified. Circadian rhythm can also influence the action of both aldosterone and cortisol on renal function. Therefore, there are marked transient meal-related increases in renal potassium excretion that depend on rapid changes in active potassium secretion and resorption in the distal nephron. These reactive responses are shaped were imposed on a predictive enhancement of these transport mechanisms that occurs at the time of the day when meal intake conventionally occurs. This predictive component of potassium homeostasis involves circadian rhythms generated by tubal cell circadian clocks which are synchronized with the central circadian clock in the brain. Much remains to be learned about both reactive and predictive mechanisms of potassium homeostasis and their integration.